Good morning. It's always a joy to, to and a privilege to worship God with, with you all, with His people. And it's always a joy and a privilege to teach His Word. But today I'm particularly, particularly excited because we're going to be talking about evangelism, as uh, Mr. Moore said. And as I studied for today, I thought of several ways to teach on evangelism. And I really, I literally made like three outlines. And then I just felt really convicted that this would be the best route to go. Um, And I asked someone, I said, I asked someone for their advice. What should I, how should I start this? How should I organize my outline? And he said, well, I would start with a great commission you know, where Jesus says, commands you to go. And I could have gotten up here and just said, Jesus said to do it, therefore do it, right? And that is true. But I want to add a little bit more dimension, a little bit more depth to the Great Commission by uh, tracing the command to be fruitful and multiply from Genesis to Revelation and how that command be fruitful and multiply is fulfilled in the Great Commission. So I'm going to show that to you today with this uh, handout and through the Uh, through this manuscript that I prepared. What is our calling? What are we called to? We're called to the Great Commission to make disciples and which will bring glory to God through telling others about Jesus Christ. And God has been profoundly kind to us in sending his son to die in our place for our sin. And there, there are many other people who haven't heard the gospel yet. So why would we withhold the message of God's grace from them? What will motivate us to tell others about the gospel? What are some motivations? Well, ironically, the gospel is actually the motivation or the catalyst for telling other people about about the gospel. And you've heard me say this before a few times uh, that, you know, two of my favorite Bible passages are 2 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 3, because they teach us that it is by seeing the love and glory of Christ that we are filled and transformed into the same glory. And as we are transformed from glory to glory, into his image, we'll begin to do the works that Christ did, uh, despite the cost, despite the you know the fears of being embarrassed about our, our, or ashamed of our faith, despite the cost of being persecuted, despite the cost of despite the cost of uh, pretty much anything, uh, ostracization from our family members, not being invited uh, places because of your obedience and faithfulness to Christ. So all of that will not keep us from telling other people the gospel if we see the glory and the love of Christ in in the scriptures. But before I begin, I want to note that the command to be fruitful and multiply was given first to Adam. So if you look at your handout, Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. And I'm going to reveal to you in a minute. I'm sure many of you have seen this before, but uh, that this is the Great Commission foretold or predicted in the Old Testament. Um, especially, I mean, if even if you just look at how Paul says that Jesus is the last Adam, uh, right? If he's the last Adam, then the first Adam, he's fulfilling what the first Adam failed to do. And we're going to look at that in a moment. So Adam, he was commanded to be fruitful and multiply, but he sinned and suffered the penalty for disobeying God. Adam was supposed to fill the earth with image bearers of God, be fruitful and multiply, right? He was supposed to 
create or multiply image bearers of God, and in doing so, he would have filled the earth with the glory of God. However, he sinned, and because of his sin, the whole human race was cursed. And despite Adam's sin, God promised that his son, his seed, his offspring, would crush the head of the serpent, who deceived them, tricked them into sinning, and would reverse the curse on all humanity by doing so. Then uh, Noah was born, Adam's son, whom they believed was the promised seed who would crush the serpent's head. So go ahead and look at the handout at Genesis 3.15. This is the promise, right? Uh, after God cursed the whole human race, he gives them a promise. He says, uh, and I will put enmity between you, Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your, your seed and her seed. He, the seed of Adam, the seed of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Then Noah is born, and then just look at Genesis 5.28, the next uh, verse here. Uh, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So uh, how does this verse uh, reveal that they were actually thinking that Noah was going to reverse the curse? Because of what it says in the last uh, phrase here, where it says, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What was one of the curses that God gave to humanity when they fell into sin uh, that this would be related to? Right? He said it would be, your work will be hard. I'm going to curse the ground and you're going to work from the sweat of your brow. So Noah is actually the son of Adam. Right. If you look at the genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus, or you just trace it from Genesis to uh, from Adam to Noah, you see that Noah is one of Adam's sons, and so they're looking for this promise to be fulfilled, that this seed uh, that God promised would come and reverse the curse. He's going to strike the head of the serpent. This one's going to bring us relief. But as you know, in uh, you know, if you you're familiar with the story, Noah sinned as well. Therefore, he forfeited the right or the privilege of being the, you know, the the deliverer. So since he was Adam's son, God gave him the same commandment. Be fruitful and multiply. Go ahead and just look at Genesis 9, 1 through 2 now. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We don't have to go further than that, uh, just for the time's sake. But just see that Adam's told to be fruitful and multiply. His son is told to be fruitful and multiply. Then then God commands Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be fruitful and multiply, but they sinned. Therefore, they couldn't end the curse on humanity and and produce true glorified image bearers of God. Right? Because, again, the purpose of God in Genesis and creating the, the human race and the universe and everything in it was to fill the earth with his glory, okay? And uh, without getting too much ahead of myself, that is fulfilled in the Great Commission. We are filling the earth with image bearers of Christ, of God, through the preaching of the gospel. We're multiplying nations. Uh, They're born again. They become sons of God through faith in the last Adam. Okay, so we're going to look at that in depth here in a moment. So, um, therefore, God cast, okay, so after, okay, so then, 
after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sin, he gives he you know the the, the baton is now passed to the, the to the nation of Israel. But before we get to the nation of Israel, look at uh, Genesis seventeen five through seven. It's the yeah Genesis seventeen five through seven where it says Abraham. For I have made you the father. So God is promising him. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the gospel uh, foreshadowed in the Old Testament as well. You have the gospel told to Adam first. There's going to be an offspring. And then we work our way through and God's still faithful to his promise. Now he's telling Abraham uh, the same promise that he told Adam. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Uh, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Then in Gen- drop down to Genesis, Genesis 26, 22 with Isaac. And he moved from there. Isaac moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. So this ideal of fruitfulness, multiplication, uh, bearing image bearers of God, multiplying a nation from the seed that he promised to Abraham. Then Genesis 35, 11, we drop down to Jacob and God said to him, I am God almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Gives Jacob the command, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. So now he's reiterating or repeating the same promise that he told his father Abraham. Now, let's jump down to Leviticus 26, 9 through 12. Uh, Now, Israel is also commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, So here's a promise in Leviticus 26, 9 through 12. I will, I will, this is a promise, I will turn you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat uh, old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. Uh, I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. And 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 just uh, you know, for kind of uh, to set this in its context, if you get to Revelation, we see the full the fulfillment of this, uh, where we're now God's people in in the book of Revelation at the end are now dwelling in the presence of God. We are His people; He's our God. And all of the nations have already been won over to Christ through the gospel. Then the command was given to the nation of Israel, but they sinned. And therefore, God, if you look at the at the scriptures, you'll see language where God is basically casting Israel out of the out of the land of Canaan, just as he cast Adam out of Eden. So all of all of our all of humanity before Christ failed to keep covenant. They failed to be sinless. They failed to reproduce image bearers uh, of God because they sinned. So again, just as Adam was cast out, Israel was cast out. And even though they all sinned, God was still faithful to keep his promise he made to Adam that one of his offspring, one of his sons would deliver them from the curse. So even though they sinned, even though they transgressed the covenant, God is still being faithful. He's going to He's going to 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 uh, uh, give humanity a son. And we see that in Isaiah, that he is uh, God among us. That the virgin shall give birth and bear a son and you shall name him Emmanuel, God with us. 
So therefore God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the son of Adam, son of God, which Luke records for us in Luke 3.38. That's why he says that son of Adam, son of God, to show that he is the God man, uh, Jesus Christ. And he sent him to conquer sin, death and Satan in order to deliver us from the curse and reproduce true sanctified image bearers of God through faith in him. Therefore, it is Jesus, the last Adam, who fulfills the command, be fruitful and multiply. After his resurrection, he commands us. Now, we're given the commission to be fruitful and multiply disciples from every nation. And I'm going to show you some kind of interesting verses here in a minute. I'm just kind of laying out the groundwork, trying to help you uh, see the, the, the continuity, the connections between the Old Testament and the New. Um, and I think it would be best to approach this topic through a clear passage through a clear passage in the New Testament. So we will begin in the New Testament in Galatians. Then we're going to work our way from Genesis to Revelation again. So please turn to Galatians chapter three. Galatians chapter three. And in this chapter, uh, Paul is showing that. <clears throat> Both Jew and Gentile are sons of God because they have the faith of Abraham and they're sons of Abraham and sons of Christ. <clears throat> so and to make this process even smoother, I'm going to, to tell you my main point up front. And I think I've already said it, but I'm going to reiterate it again. Then I'll emphasize it along the way and then restate it towards the end. So here's the point that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham who is being fruitful and multiplying sons and daughters of God from all nations through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the church, working through the church. That's us in this room. So as the church obeys the Great Commission, which is to, which is to make disciples of all nations by preaching the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit gives unbelievers the faith and repentance needed to believe the gospel so that they too become children of God and heirs of the promises of God. And so I just stated that Jesus is the promised seed of Abraham. Uh, but where does it say that in the Bible? So go to verse 7 in Galatians. Verse 7 in Galatians. And in this chapter, Paul's explaining that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Uh, so it says, <clears throat> Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand, saying, In you... All the nations be blessed. So then those are so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so all Christians are the offspring of Abraham. And the gospel was uh, foretold in Genesis 17. And another text that supports my main point is this. Go jump down to Galatians 329 really quick. And it says this. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. If you are Christ, if you're sitting here in here today and you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's children, the children that he promised, that God promised to him. So now that we've established that we are the sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus, I want to show how God didn't only promise to bless all of the nations in Abraham, but God also promised to make Abraham fruitful and to multiply his children. So in order to see this, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And because uh, I want to give you all the opportunity to see it in your in your Bible. 
And also, if you have a highlighter or a pencil, you could outline it or, or underline uh, some phrases and words that will kind of help understand the context. <clears throat> Genesis 17. So this passage is one of several. There's several other passage, passages like this where God preaches the gospel to Abraham. Promising that he will multiply his descendants, making him into a fruitful nation. And if you'd like, you may highlight everywhere it says multiply, fruitful, multitude of nations and offspring. Or just notice where these words in the passage are. So let's begin. We're going to start in verse 1 and just read to verse 8. So Genesis 17, 1 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. That's the new covenant because it's everlasting in Christ to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And that is both Jew and Gentile, the offspring of Abraham, really of Christ. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So this promise that God made uh, that he would make Abraham fruitful and multiply his children is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the promised seed, son, offspring of Abraham who would be fruitful and multiply sons of God through his sacrifice on the cross and through his resurrection. In order to see this, please turn with me to Galatians 3.16. I think it's actually here on your on your handout. You can go there. You can just look at towards the bottom at the front page, Genesis 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. By the way, just a quick note. This is referring back to also Genesis 3.15 where God says that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. By the way, and that's also why in the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the, the authors, Matthew and Luke, make it really clear that Jesus is the son of Abraham and he's the son of Adam and he's the son of God. So um, let's, let's read Genesis 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but to one and to your offspring who is Christ. So the word offspring is in the singular, therefore it is referring to one person, Jesus, who is the promised son whom God would multiply nations through. So jump with me once more to verse 29 in Galatians. Uh, you can do that in your Bible or I think it's, yeah, go in your Bible to Genesis 3.29. What's the second one here? Galatians, uh, Galatians 3.29. And it says, uh, and if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So not only are we Abraham's offspring, but in a sense, we're also Christ's offspring. 
Uh, I don't know if that's a new idea to you um, or something that's new to you that we are also Christ's children, offspring. And uh, so go to Isaiah 53.10. You can flip the, uh, by the way, if you want, you can follow in your Bibles or you can use the handout because I forgot that I put all these verses here. So Isaiah 53.10, the first verse on the back back side of the handout. It says, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The him is Christ. Uh, the Lord has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will shall prosper in his hand. And so um, these are also gospel promises. It says, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall, he will see his offspring. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but, uh, you know, we are the offspring, the children of God, the children of Christ. And being his people, his seed, his sons and daughters, we are now commissioned with the same thing, the same commission that he was given to go and seek and save the lost, to preach the gospel to them. And this is the purpose of God in, in, in Genesis, to fill the earth with his glory. And so that's our duty. That's our responsibility as image bearers of God to continue to witness, to uh, be a, a beacon of light, a representation of God on earth, right? And to also proclaim his glory to other people. So Jesus is the offspring the promised son of Abraham through the promised son, Jesus, God is blessing the nations. And God is, and, and this is also the very uh, reassuring, comforting thing is that God has, uh, he is, he is foreordained. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's given us his word. And he says that uh, all nations will worship before him. And that's the confidence we have when we go out in, into uh, our little local mission field here in Paris, Texas. And by the way, so I, I wrote this and I want, I, don't want, I want to make sure that I don't leave it out. So it's our responsibility when, uh, since we're the church. And it's through the church that the gospel is proclaimed. It is every Christian's responsibility to be a witness of the gospel with our lives and our words. So Romans 10, 14, it says, How then will they call in him whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe, to believe in him? Uh, in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so we can't rely on the fact that we did good deeds in front of other people that, oh, they're going to believe in Jesus Christ now just because they know I'm a Christian. They have to also hear a specific message uh, about the gospel in order to be saved because it's the power that, of God that saves them through the preaching of the word. And so therefore, the command to be fruitful and multiply is fulfilled in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and see the, the language here. Uh, it doesn't say Jesus. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, be fruitful and multiply. But the word nations here uh, is linked to the nations that God said he would multiply and bless. And uh, through Abraham's seed, which is the Christ. Now that seed is here in Matthew 28 telling his disciples to go and make to go and make disciples of all nations so matthew 28 18 through 20 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end. These verses show how the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations is being fulfilled through Abraham's promised offspring, Jesus Christ. And, uh, beloved friends, we're, we are the sons and daughters of Christ. We are his offspring according to Isaiah 53.10. Therefore, we are called to continue the work of being fruitful and multiplying disciples through the preaching of the gospel. And by the way, I want to make a word of application now. Uh, and by the so when Jesus said, I am with you, when he told his disciples, I will be with you even to the end of the age, he's revealing that he is God here because these are the same words that God said to Moses in Exodus chapter three, when he sent him to save Israel, to redeem Israel from Egypt. And now God is sending us on a mission like he sent Moses to preach the gospel so that his people who are in bondage, not to not to, not in Egypt, but in the world, bondage to sin, death, Satan, will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. The true Israel of God, but made up of both Jew and Gentile, will be saved through the preaching of God's heralds, which is which are the church. Even uh, see, I, I did a as I was reading Acts, I did like a a study, not an in depth one, but just kind of recognizing that. Preaching isn't standing up on a soapbox in, 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 you know, in town square and proclaiming or it is that, but it's proclaiming a message. So even the women here can proclaim the gospel to somebody, right? Not in maybe in a as an elder of a church, right? But you can proclaim, you can make a phone call, call your sister, call your parents, call your, uh, you know, your, your loved ones and proclaim Preach, tell them the gospel, and God will use that. And uh, all, secondly, he says he will be with us. He's God with us, Emmanuel. He will work through us, and he won't abandon us even if we die as martyrs. He'll gather us to himself. So remember that when you witness that he will be with you, uh, even if it's scary, even if you're afraid, he'll be with you. And then he even... It's the power of God. Amen. And we're going to look at that in Acts next week as well. That um, the Acts, so some people, they title the book the Acts of the Apostles. But it's actually the Acts of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ working through the Apostles, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, he will be with us when we preach the gospel. So um, on, that's a nice segue. We're actually going to turn to Acts. So go to, I think I have it here, Acts 1, 6 through 8. Um, and here Luke records Jesus repeating this command to his apostles. Acts 1, 6 through 8 reads, So when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So notice that Jesus tells his disciples that they are to begin proclaiming the gospel to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem and in all Judea. 
Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, or you could say all nations. Why am I highlighting this? I'm highlighting it because this, I'm highlighting highlighting this because I want us to see the way that Christ intends to fill the earth with children of God from all nations. So we're going to see how Christ working through the church, through us, really, you know, in his apostles and and the early church, accomplished making disciples first in Jerusalem, Samaria, and then began to work its way out into the ends of the earth. So go to Acts 2.14, or just jump down to Acts 2.14. So this marks the beginning of when the apostles made disciples in Jerusalem and Judea on the day of Pentecost. So Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my words. And as you know, uh, and you know, and as you know, when Peter preached this sermon, there were three thousand Jews in Jerusalem who believed the gospel and became the offspring of Abraham that day. And uh, so this is marking again the beginning of the gospel going to Jerusalem, fulfilling what uh, Christ had commanded them to do. And then, furthermore, I want us to notice this too: that uh, look at what Peter did. It says he stood, he lifted up his voice. He addressed them. And I want to remind us again that we are not only to witness with our lives, but with our our mouth. Peter lifted up his voice and addressed them with the gospel. And this is what we must do. And, you know, um, this is a, I don't know where I heard this uh, illustration before, but, you know, if we don't open our mouths, if we don't tell people the gospel, uh, it would be, it would be immoral for us to do that. It would be as if you were a lifeguard and saw someone drowning, but you were too apathetic to jump in and save them. Um, you'll actually prove that you hate your neighbor, your children, uh, through your indifference to whether or not they go to heaven or hell if you don't tell them the gospel. And uh, one of my friends, Brian uh, Mathis, he was preaching, he was teaching a, a class on Greek, and he, he was talking about First uh, John where it talks about hating your brother. And uh, our perception of hate is like maybe like anger, like an active hatred towards people. But actually, uh, he showed that in the context, it's just indifference. I don't care if you're hurting. I don't care if you're, if you have a need. I don't care if you know the gospel or not. It's just indifference. So, that's one way that our um, hatred is revealed, is through indifference. Lastly, if you read this, his sermon, which is what we're going to study next time, is that he preached the gospel to them. It's good to share our testimony. So it's okay to share our testimony with people. And it's good to share truth about God. Like, you know, on, on Instagram and, and social media, uh, you know, the other day I posted a picture that said the heavens declare the glory of God. That's not the gospel. That's truth about God, but it's not the gospel. And so we can't substitute uh, little truths that we share here and there. We can't substitute our our, our testimony for the gospel because those things are not going to ultimately bring them in. Uh, The gospel is the power of God. Okay, we're almost done here. Let's go to Acts 8.4. Or we can just look right here, Acts 8.4. This is now the gospel going to Samaria. So first it went to Jerusalem, now to Samaria, where Luke reads, records the gospel uh, through uh, being brought to Samaria by Philip. 
Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to Samaria, the city of Samaria, and proclaimed Christ to them. So again, uh, remember Jesus says, go therefore. So Philip went. He went to to, to the city of Samaria in obedience to what Christ commanded. And then he says, teach them all that I've commanded you. Now he's proclaiming Christ to them, a specific message. And then lastly, jump to Acts 10.44. So this is now recording the beginning of the gospel reaching the ends of the earth, or you could say when non-Jewish nations became the offspring of Abraham through faith in Christ. So Acts 10.44, while Peter was still saying these things, right? Peter was sent to the house of a man named Cornelius, who was a Gentile, but he worshipped God. And Peter brought the gospel to them. And while Peter was was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on Gentiles. That's us here today, Gentile believers. We should be thankful for that. And um, so these three passages mark the beginning of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ working through the church to make disciples of all nations which fulfills the gospel promise made to Abraham, which was foretold to Adam in Genesis chapter 3.15. So that's kind of the connection there, right? Um, that one of his sons, a multitude, that through one of his sons, a multitude of nations would be blessed. And church, we even, we even have a preview into the future when God will conclude the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. So turn to, or you can look at uh, Revelation 7-9. This is the fulfillment, the consummation uh, of the Great Commission. And after this, I beheld, and, and lo, a great multitude, to be fruitful and multiply, a multitude of nations shall come from you, Abraham, through your offspring. A great multitude which no one could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And church, you are the elect from the nations that God promised would to save. And now you are called, you are called. If you're here today and, and you are in Christ, which I believe all of you are, um, then you are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in order to bring about the full number of those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life from the from before the foundation of the world. And this is a high and glorious calling and privilege. So don't be afraid. Remember that Christ's words in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we can rest knowing that whatever happens when we evangelize has caused it to happen, that he has allowed it and caused it to happen, and he's working it out for our good and for his glory. And secondly, he is with us, God with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Those are gospel promises. And that's going to conclude the message. But um, I want to just make a few more comments. Is that a couple more, then we'll go. Um, 
you know, God doesn't promise that we're not going to be martyred. Doesn't promise that none of us are going to get shot in the Paris uh, square or run over or something. Uh, but he promises never to leave us or, nor forsake us, right? What does that mean? It means that when we die, he's not going to abandon our soul to Sheol. He's going to bring us to himself, right? And if we really care about the glory of Christ, we're going to do what he did. He went to the cross. He suffered in order to save people. And when it's the same pattern for the missionary, for the evangelist, for every Christian, that it's through suffering that we get the gospel out. Whether for some people it might just be ostracization from family members. For some people it might be what happened to Jim Elliott in, uh, when he went down there to South America. Um, but whether it's whether we die as martyrs or not, he's, he's not going to abandon us. He'll be with us in our witness. Since we have a little bit of time left, since I finished a little bit earlier than I thought, go with me to Isaiah 66. This is a passage. Um, Isaiah 66, verse 18. Now, in the Old Testament, a lot of well, a lot of theologians have said, and I think even the New Testament teaches this, that the Old Testament is like it, it contains the gospel, but it's veiled. It still like hasn't been fully revealed yet. So Isaiah's prophesying world missions here. And I've always wanted to do a sermon titled End Time Evangelism because this is talking about the end times and it's talking about world evangelism, world missions. It even talks about Revelation and the Judgment Day. So verse 18, for God is speaking in first person, for I know their works. Whose works? Sinners. I know their works and their thoughts. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. That sign is the Messiah. If you follow along with, with the book of Isaiah. I will set a sign among them, the cross. And from them I will send survivors. So from the wicked I will save them. And then from them I will, from them I will send out survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, Pol, and Lud. Who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away. That have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. On horses and in chariots and on litters and on mules and on dromedaries. To my holy mountain Jerusalem. Says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring the grain off, their grain offering and a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will... T- And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. So here again, we have promises. God is not a liar. He will accomplish missions. And if there's the elect here in Paris, Texas, then they'll hear and they'll be saved. Let's pray really quick uh, just to ask God's blessing on the on today's lesson. Uh, Lord, uh, please help us today.
pray that <clears throat> these truths that we were already aware about, we already knew, would just be fresh, uh, renewed in our minds, and that they would be, uh, that, th- that they would stir us up, stir and kindle a fire inside of our hearts again for the for your glory, for the preaching of your word, and that we would have the same passion that our pattern and example, the Lord Jesus Christ had when he came down from heaven, took upon flesh to seek and to save his sheep, to seek and save the lost. Help us to trust in your promises that you will accomplish missions and evangelism, that you will draw all men to yourself if the Messiah is lifted up. Help us to trust that the gospel is your power to save unbelievers. And we ask, and please be with us on December 18th. Uh, Be a shield and buckler to us. And also save many through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.